can't, like I said, I can't judge. I once stayed out in a parking lot all night in the snow for free Chick-fil-A for a year. So like I understand, like sometimes we do things that other people wouldn't do. Of course, I can't imagine anybody not doing that, uh, that, that we'll go through to get those things, fight the crowds, all that kind of stuff. You have to sharpen up your elbows. Hopefully, uh, nobody felt like they had to do that this morning, like somebody was sitting in your seat or something, and you're like, hey, what's going on here? This is, this is really weird. Also, I just want to mention, totally, totally an aside, if somebody comes in at like 11.15 as you're walking out, uh, like just give them grace, no perfect people allowed, like to tell them, hey, but you missed it uh, for the month of December. Uh, the... <laughs> The, the possibility of picking up that perfect gift for someone, like Black Friday uh, shopping or maybe Cyber Monday, which is more my speed, you know, getting it at a, at a lesser price and all that kind of stuff, it's a strong incentive. It's a great feeling when you give someone the perfect uh, gift. And I know, like, that's why we're doing it, because we're, we're totally altruistic about our Christmas and our presents and our gift giving. It's all altruistic. Like, we're, we're not into the whole greed and consumerism thing. I know none of us would ever, like, take out a loan to be able to afford Christmas gifts or anything like that. But we do live in a society where that happens on the regular. And maybe uh, you have felt, or at least maybe that's kind of starting to leave a bad taste in your mouth. Maybe you've noticed that, you've kind of seen that happening in our society, in our culture, that having a good Christmas tends to mean that you had a lot of presents and so many pretty packages on your tree. And if you don't have that, then the Christmas isn't going to be that great for the year. Uh, one of the uh, things that happens for us as a culture, like since 2008, we have been slowly ramping back up our spending in Christmas. The average person is going to spend a little over $1,000 on Christmas this year. Now, I don't, I don't know about you and what your reaction to that is. That is a ton of money to me. And I just can't, that's just kind of mind-blowing that we're going to spend all that money on presents. We're going to spend it on food. We're going to spend it on incidentals to make like wrapping paper and I, like name tags and stuff like that, like all these little things that we just do to have this perfect experience around this time of year. It's an expensive holiday. And one of the things that my parents figured out early on is they kind of made a deal with our extended family and, and just said, hey, we don't need to get gifts for all, all of us, right? Like, we don't need to show up and have 50 different gifts that we exchange with all these different people. And some of you have figured out really creative ways to do it with your families. You do like a gift exchange and that kind of thing. Because we just knew it would just get so out of control if we made it all about that. It was more about the family gathering together. And after so many years of feeling that obligation to find something special for someone, you can tell that as a society that we started just giving up on it. Because for the, over a decade, the most popular gift that people have requested are gift cards. Like, that's what we want. And say, so, yeah, I know that you're going to pick out a terrible gift for me. I'm not going to be excited for it. So can you just give me money? Merry Christmas. Like, that, that's how you know that we've given up as a society, right? And so, but here's, here's the thing. I, I, think, I think there's something really powerful to gift giving. I love gifts. Presents are one of my favorite things about Christmas. Uh, getting them, not giving them. I just, just throwing that out there, just being honest. I think it's amazing. It's fun and it's great. I love it. Ever since I was a kid, I remember the joy of that. But um, if I never see another jewelry or car commercial for Christmas, I won't be disappointed. But it's not the giving of gifts that's been the problem all, all through these years. It's not the thing that's been the issue for us. It's because as a society, as a culture, as a people, we've lost sight of why we give gifts in the first place. Gifts given out of obligation, for example, or just because this is what we do this time of year will always fall flat. It will always lose kind of the sparkle and the joy of Christmas. But gifts given out of love with thoughtfulness, meaning, and purpose, th those things capture the meaning of why we celebrate Christmas. 
And in fact, gift giving was a part of the Christmas story all the way at the beginning when Jesus was born, or at least a couple of years after he was born. So we're going to be looking at that in Matthew chapter 2. If you want to turn your Bible, Bible's there. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 uh, for pretty much the entire time. So if you want to turn there, we're going to be reading uh, in Matthew. Matthew is the only one who writes about this particular part of the Christmas story. And he talks about these wise men that travel from the east that come to celebrate the birth of Jesus and the gifts that they bring. And Matthew just kind of jumps into it without a whole lot of explanation in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, just so you know, to give a little bit of historical context, and we'll have this sprinkled in through, throughout the message to kind of understand where these guys are coming from. They didn't know that they were looking for Jesus specifically and all the ins and outs of who Jesus was going to be. Uh, they didn't know exactly what the implications of this king of the Jews would mean and what G- all Jesus would do, but they were looking for direction to discover what this momentous occasion that they had seen represented in the sky was to be. And they didn't come empty-handed. They came with something to celebrate it. The Magi studied. These were learned men. These were people who were like polymaths. They were Renaissance men. They were scientists. They were people who studied, who read. Uh, They were considered astronomers and astrologers, although that uh, means something different now than it did then. Uh, they studied all kinds of uh, things like medicine and math and natural science. They would have been a type of priest or, or religious teacher uh, with their origins in the Persian Empire. And they were impacted by Jews in the past who had lived and been in exile around those areas. And so some of the things that we read in the Old Testament, those were accessible to other cultures and it impacted them and it affected their lives. Some of these people who came, some of these magis may have been con to Judaism. And so they may have been coming to find the king of the Jews because they read and as they studied the Old Testament and the Bible, they saw references to Jesus and, and what he would do and when he would come. And the whole star is a sign thing. I know that may seem kind of weird because like, oh, I see stars in the sky all the time and I'm not looking at it and I think, oh, oh there's a sign. Now, when there's a full moon, I'll think, oh, it's going to be crazy at the emergency room today because uh, that's a thing. I don't know. Ask a nurse. Uh, but that's a, see, yeah, it's a, that's a real thing. And so we do kind of sometimes look for signs in, in the sky like that, but they looked for constellations. They looked for comets. They looked for planets alignment and would see signs. And we don't know what this was, what this was. We don't know what they saw in the sky. There are things throughout ancient history that talk about comets that aren't moving. There are planets that aligned at certain times. There are people who have looked to see what the sky would have looked like around this time of year to see what it may have been that they saw. And there's some interesting things that are there. But whatever it was, these magi saw there was a sign that some, something or somebody big was happening near Jerusalem. So they prepped for a long journey. It took them at least a couple of years to get there and brought gifts appropriate for the significance of the moment. And they weren't really interested in what they were going to find when they got there. They weren't interested in the Roman Empire and the interplay between the Jewish people and the Romans and what was going on politically. They weren't concerned about whether or not it was going to be a perfect setup and the tree was going to be in the right spot and the Christmas lights were going to be hung on the house or anything like that. Uh, They didn't care what other people would think about their long journey away from home. The Magi were more more concerned with this momentous occasion happening in 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 this moment in their lives with giving of themselves than with any other expectation that people had 
for what they should be doing during this time of year. So they get there, they come, and they ask, where's the one who's born king of the Jews? Because they expected that the people that were lived right there where Jesus was going to be born, they would be paying attention and would know. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. And this is because uh, all of Jerusalem being worried with Herod at the same time, they were worried because Herod w- was a despot. We know quite a bit of Herod because of the historian Josephus. This was the guy who killed his own kids, uh, that would put his own family in prison, that at the time of his death, he knew he was dying, he was dying a painful death, and he had a bunch of officials rounded up and brought to Jerusalem, and he wanted them executed as soon as he passed away, just so there would be people mourning when he was dying, because he knew nobody would mourn just because he died. I mean, this was a horrible person. And so when he hears about the king of the Jews, all he can think about is himself. All he can think about is his own reign. All he can think about is how he was being impacted and affected by the events around him. So that's what he was concerned with. And all of Jerusalem was worried about this because that's all he was concerned with. Now, thankfully, um, his, his kids did not fill, fulfill his wishes to execute all those people. But he gathers his own advisors and his priests and asks them, hey, what are these guys talking about? And they go and they study and they look in the Old Testament. And most of them would have had it memorized. And so they would be thinking through, oh, what could the, these guys be talking about? And they say, hey, there's actually some prophecies in the Old Testament about this happening. In fact, Micah the prophet wrote about where he'll be born. And so in Matthew chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, we read, When Herod had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so Herod calls the Magi and he says, hey, when did you start seeing this? And and they said, "Uh, about two years ago, probably, is what they said. And then the Magi head to, to Bethlehem. And, and you would think, like, if God was going to give a sign to anyone about where Jesus was going to be born, that he was coming and all that kind of stuff, that, that he would give it to his people and they would go make the six-mile trip from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to make the journey and celebrate. But the reality, the reality is, is that there was a sign. They just weren't paying attention to it because they were so consumed and concerned only about themselves and what they wanted to see happen during this time of year and season in, life, not in their lives, not what God was doing. Even though the Magi weren't from around there, they weren't the right type of people, they were more prepared and more excited and more ready for Jesus' arrival than those who should have been willing to offer everything of themselves to him. And so they head to to Bethlehem because they were interested more in what God was doing and what he had for them than anything else that was going on. Matthew chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, the star makes an appearance again. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. See, it didn't matter to them what state they found Jesus in. All the signs and direction God had given to them led right to where their gifts belonged. And the Magi, they had three gifts. We don't know that there were just three wise men. I mean, there's uh, 
legendary names that have been put to three people who are there, but we know that this journey required a lot more of them than just three people. They would have had servants with them, they would have had people helping them travel and stay, set up camp, all of those kinds of things. So they had a whole entire retinue with them to be able to get to this point. They put a lot of time and thought and effort to this. It wasn't just about the gifts that they brought either. They had used their expertise, they had spent time studying, they'd spent time planning out their route, uh, being very intentional about why they were doing what they're doing. All those things came into them giving these gifts and presenting them to, to Jesus. They fall down and worship him and they give him status above their own even though these are top echelon people in this world and they brought gifts with them that celebrated who Jesus was because it wasn't just about the gold it wasn't just about the frankincense and it wasn't just about the myrrh it was about what they meant and what they were saying about Jesus when they gave it to him the gold for example that was fit for a king and Jesus is the king he's king of the kingdom of God who came to give us the good news of that, to spread that news of that kingdom throughout the world. And frankincense, that's fit for a priest or for the divine, for a deity. And that is Jesus. He's God who came in flesh to dwell among us, God with us. And frankincense rep represented that. And myrrh was for, was for the burial process. And so the wise men brought Jesus a gift that recognized that he came ultimately to die. And that was his purpose on this earth and to raise again, which is why we continue to celebrate this time of year. So even if the Magi didn't completely understand what Jesus would do in his life, they celebrated what the world would experience through the Messiah, God's salvation for all people, the ultimate proof that God truly and wholly and unreservedly loves all. God's plan all along was Jesus, and it was pointed to throughout the centuries, that he would go out of his way to fulfill the requirements of his holiness himself, and that Jesus would embody the fullness of the joy of Christmas through love, a love for us to experience, a love for us to give to all, a love for us to find meaning and truth and a place to belong, a thing that's worth giving in every area of our lives and everything in our lives for. So the best gifts that we can give are the experiences that we share with others. And ultimately, it's the experiences that God allows us to have through who Jesus is. And those gifts don't have to be all bought. The gifts that the Magi brought were less about what the objects were and more about what they symbolized. Sure, they were practical and they get, grabbed the attention. Like, I guarantee you, if somebody gives you a brick of gold this Christmas, you're not going to be sitting around and thinking about, oh, I wonder what the meaning behind this is. You know, you're just thinking, man, this is pretty amazing. What am I going to do with this? I don't know. I'm excited. Um, but the kind of God-honoring gifts in our lives we're meant to share are a reflection of both the giver and the receiver of the gift. And yeah, you may not be shopping for Jesus this Christmas, but if you are giving gifts this year, it will be to those who are made in his image. In James chapter 1, verse 16 through 18, James writes, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. I mean, there's proof that we're supposed to have Christmas lights and gifts right there for you. So you can show that to someone and say, this is why we have lights. Much more importantly though, God's version of every good and perfect gift uh, not only fulfills our needs, but also the deepest desires of our heart. And they place us on a level of importance to him that produces joy no matter the season. So we need a king 
who will rule with righteousness. And we need the divine to reveal the glory of God. And we need sacrificial love to remind us that there's always hope worth trusting in. These are all the things that Jesus provides to us. And the gifts given to Jesus reflect the greater gift he is to us. There's a, a guy named St. Nicholas of Myra who lived in the third to fourth centuries, and you may be familiar with him, uh, although you may not be sure why you're familiar with him. Uh, he's the guy that we get the legend of Santa Claus from. Uh, some of the things, some of the stories uh, about him is that he was born for, with two wealthy Christian parents, and as a response to that, he actually became a Christian as well, that he became a bishop and he served in the church and that when he got their inheritance, instead of kind of using it for himself, his habit was to be a secret gift giver. In fact, part of the story is that people would leave out their shoes and that he would put gold in them for them uh, and it's because they were poor. And so that's what he did. He went around and he gave secret gifts to people who were poor. He helped provide them with things that they need. One of the more famous stories about him and things that he did is that there were three sisters that were about to be sold into slavery because their parents could not afford to keep them anymore. And so over three nights, three bags of gold just happened to show up at their house because he was coming to make sure that they wouldn't be sold into slavery. This is the origin of our Santa Claus story. And hopefully I'm not like like I get the Santa Claus thing and stuff, but it's okay, we're in church so we can, we can talk about the truth. Uh, so nobody be nervous about the Santa Claus stuff. This is where we come from. The, and so not, not like the pop culture version that we come today where it's all about the presence and whether or not, oh man, how many did he bring me and all that kind of stuff. But what St. Nick was originally doing is he was restoring the humanity of the people that he was giving gifts to. Like he, he was recognizing that other humans were, were not, recognize, not recognizing how they were, they were not recognizing the, the made in the God's image reality that people have and carry with them. And so one of the things that we can do when it comes to gift giving, whether it's with our family or with our friends or our neighbors, whoever it is, is that, that those gifts can be so much more meaningful in their lives when we recognize why we're giving them in the first place that we're recognizing that they're a person worth our time and our effort and our resources, that they're a person who's made in the image of God, that they're a person who's worth recognizing their humanity and even the divine that's innate within them because of God's creation and, and the fact that they live in this life. The, the Christmas, uh, this Christmas, if you want to give with more meaning involved, think about how the gifts that you share reflect how God views that person and what you want them to experience knowing that that's true. Absolutely, that's going to be reflected in things that are fun and celebratory. And like, I'm not saying like every gift that you give has to make somebody cry and be like, oh, you know, like this is affecting me deeply emotionally. Like some of those things, God is joyful. God is hopeful. Like all those things are going to be reflected in those things. Uh, but be thinking about why you're doing it in the first place and the impact that you're leaving in that person's life. And gift giving is a problem when we base it on feeding into the desire for things that won't satisfy and so we can change, we can flip the script, and we can give a little bit more differently. We can give the way that God has called us to. And so maybe like your kids, maybe they're, they're asking for a video game this Christmas. And I'm not saying like don't give them the video game because, yes, that can be fun. It can be celebratory. That's something that you enjoy with them, all those kinds of things. But if what they're really needing in their life is some excitement 
and some real world interaction to see how that can be a part of their life, like maybe that's what they're looking for. They're looking for an experience for you to share with them that they haven't yet captured in their life. Or maybe like you're, you're thinking about getting your wife uh, or your spouse jewelry this, this Christmas. And that's great. Like there's nothing wrong with jewelry. I, I think that's amazing. But if you're looking for the jewelry to communicate like how valuable they are to you, what, what they actually really want, the deepest desires of their heart is for you to show how valuable they are to you like throughout the year and how you love them and how you serve them and how you care for them, how you talk to them, how you interact with them. And so you don't have to be able to afford a luxury item in order to share with somebody how valuable they are to you in your life. It's the memories and experience based on what will last forever that make the best gifts. The tradition began 2,000 years ago and it will continue as we're thoughtful about the gifts that we give with meaning to our families and to our friends. As we look to the gifts that were given to Jesus and what they meant about who he was, and we take a look at Jesus as the ultimate gift that God gives to us and how he impacts our lives. Let me, let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this tradition of, of gift giving that you, you institute from the beginning. Life is a gift to us. The things that you bless us with around us, the way that you provide for us with food and shelter and clothing, I mean, those, those are precious gifts to us. And God, you continue to go and be, be above and beyond even that, that we experience life to such a, uh, such a comfortable degree is, is a gift, one that we don't deserve, one that we are not, not owed. And God, that you would send Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins to be raised again uh, for us, that we could experience new life, experience the joy and the hope and the peace and the trust that those things are always a part of our lives regardless of what season we're in. God, that's, that's a precious gift. And we just ask that uh, as we share in this time of year with, with others, that we are able to reflect that precious gift to others as well that you would guide us with your Holy Spirit so we might see the opportunities that we have to spread uh, the meaning behind who Jesus is and what he allows us to experience. God, we praise you for this. We thank you for this. We give you all the glory for this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Every week at Velocity, we take communion together and we have this moment in our service to specifically focus in on the precious gift that Jesus is for us. That, that he would sacrifice himself wholly undeserved. That he would put himself in our place so that we don't have to experience what we do deserve to get. And so we honor him by taking a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice that represents his body that was broken for us, his blood that was spilled and shared. And we're thankful and grateful and hopeful, knowing that he raised from the dead even after experiencing this. And so this morning as we, as we take communion together, I just ask that your hearts and your mind and your souls be, be reflecting on that great gift that we share uh, together this morning.